Hello to all our listeners. Thank you for joining us today on episode three of our MMM podcast, Ask the Expert. Before we get into our interview today with our special guest, let me first introduce who we are. MMM stands for Music Men's Minds, a nonprofit organization that began seven years ago. Founded by Carol Rosenstein and her late husband, Erwin Rosenstein, Music Men's Minds' mission is to serve seniors suffering from neurodegenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia, stroke, and even traumatic brain injuries. This story begins with Carol. Her husband, Erwin, fell into the clutches of Parkinson's. Erwin's decline due to his neurodegenerative disease was steep, but one thing kept the joy alive through the late stages of Erwin's life, and that was music. Erwin would light up at the piano and it seemed as if the disease was gone, if only for a moment. And this is when Carol realized music is medicine. Thus, Music Men's Minds was born. Enjoy episode three. Hello everyone, my name is Janelle. I'm a third year psychology major at UCLA and I'm one of the admin assistants here at MMM. My name is Henry. I am a fourth year biology major and global health minor, and I am also one of the student assistants for Music Men's Minds. And today we also have Carol, our CEO and executive founder of MMM. Hello, everybody. I'm Carol Rosenstein. Thrilled to be here and just thrilled to welcome Professor Michael Dean, UCLA professor of many hats he wears and we will allow him to tell us about those hats. So welcome, Michael Dean. Thank you for being here for our podcast series number three. Thanks, it's great to be here. So this is Michael Dean. Welcome, Michael Dean. He is a professor of voice performance at UCLA and has performed to great acclaim worldwide in both concert and operatic repertoire. He has appeared in leading bass baritone roles with many of the leading opera houses of the US and Europe. He has made frequent appearances at the New York City Opera, where he has performed the title role in The Marriage of Figaro, Leporello in Don Giovanni, George in Of Mice and Men, and many, many more. So welcome, Michael Dean. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. And then we'll go ahead and just start with the questions. Great. What inspired you to pursue your current career path? Well, uh, a couple of different careers going at once as a musical performer and as a music uh, teacher, as a professor of voice at UCLA, Um, certainly as a professional musician, it's very easy to be inspired to be a musician when you feel that that's what you are, that's what you identify. From a very, very young age, most musicians know that that's what they want to pursue. I would have to say that as a as a pr- professional musician, I was very much inspired um, just during my college years. Um, I knew that I wanted to study music when I went to college, and I knew that my dream was to be a professional musician, but of course you can't possibly know that it's going to work out, uh, considering how many people would love to do that and how many people do uh, perform music and study it. But uh, during those years, it was when I became more and more enamored with the idea of of doing this for my life as opposed to just doing it uh, as an amateur. And uh, studying voice was interesting because it was only one of things one of a few things that i did i wrote music i i uh, played piano i played different instruments i enjoyed all different kinds of music and um, it was only in college that uh, i started to work with uh, instructors who helped me develop my vocal talent 
uh, more than the others, and it became clear that opera and classical music was a path I was going to follow, which was a great surprise to me because opera really wasn't my favorite kind of music mm -hmm. when, when I was in college. I loved classical music, uh, but but the singing part of it was not my favorite. It was in some foreign language, and it, it all looked a little bit oversized to me for my tastes. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I was really uh, encouraged to to pursue it by the instructors that I worked with. And of course, the first time I performed in an opera, well, then I understood and I, I, I fell in love with it. As far as teaching goes, um, it was much later on as I sang for many, many years, um, I started to, uh, young singers started to approach me and ask me to give them voice lessons uh, just in the cities that I was performing in. It wasn't, I wasn't part of a faculty yet at that point, but um, they liked my singing and asked if I could teach them. And so I just sort of did. And um, I thought, let me give it a shot and tell you what I know and tell you what I hear. Um, every teacher has a little bit of imposter syndrome when you first start because you think, well, who am I to tell you what to do? Uh, but if you do it enough and you keep trying it, you start helping people and you start seeing improvements. What happened to me was I started to get more excited about my students' progress than I was excited about anything I was doing on stage. I, I, I sort of got that teaching bug that people talk about the same way they talk about the performing bug. And so I had two of these at the same time. And uh, luckily I was able and still am able to do both at the same time. So I didn't have to give up performing in order to teach. Uh, so that's been a great joy for me. And then to find UCLA um, was just wonderful. I taught at several institutions before coming to UCLA on different faculties. Uh, around the country and uh, to have found this particular university at this particular time uh, is just one of those wonderful um, circumstances that you look back on and feel just feel so fortunate that the timing was right that I could be at this place and have now been at UCLA for about 17 years and have just enjoyed every single moment of it and continue to enjoy it. Wow. Well, you know, UCLA is very lucky to have you and glad that we're on that topic because our next question is, what can you tell us about the UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music and why is it so great? Why do you love it so much? Well, I think one of the reasons is that that we have this incredible position that we're in. Um, we're part of one of the world's foremost research universities, the a university that more students apply to than any other university in the world. It's it's quite an extraordinary place, um, as everyone knows, and it's known around the world. So we have that foundation of this university where such great learning and research goes on. And then in the midst of it, we have this school of music that feels like a conservatory of music. It has this absolute um, concentrated um, family sort of atmosphere. It's, it is compared to a lot of big schools of music at big universities around the country. We keep our numbers pretty small. That tends to be a little um, intimidating to people because they feel it's impossible to get in because we let so few people in. But that's not really the point. The reason we have it that way is so we can keep the focus and so that we can keep each individual student feeling like they are known and that they are being worked with as an individual. Um, we only have about 550 students in the whole School of Music. That's freshmen through PhD. So. Um, but we have about 130 faculty members. So it's really, really, the per faculty to student ratio is about as good as it, as it could ever be. Um, what's special about it, I think, is the, the, the 
sense of broadness about our ideas about music. And I think a lot of that maybe comes from the fact that I'm in the classical music part of it, but that there are so many different kinds of music that are being studied and seriously right. studied in that school. And I think one of the wonderful things is that is that our uh, our benefactor, Herb Alpert, who is famous in the jazz world mm -hmm. and in the and the world of of uh, pop music, really, um, is so interested in every kind of music there is. He's in in many ways the perfect benefactor for us because the classical music, opera. Uh, orchestral music, chamber music is a huge mm -hmm. part of what we do. But our the the Herbie Hancock Institute of Jazz that we have, the world music that we have, every single kind of, uh, um, you know, in ethnomusicology, in our department of ethnomusicology, almost every kind of music that's made around the world is studied and practiced. And so the rich tapestry of music is alive for every one of our students. So that if you are a jazz trumpeter, you are also going to be very much involved with classical music and world mm -hmm. music. If you're a if you're a classical violinist, you are going to be exposed to jazz. You are going to right. today's musicians really need to think of themselves as musicians with a capital M, yeah. and not a this kind of musician or that right. kind of musician. So at the Herb Alpert School of Music, what's great is that the whole faculty and all of the students are on board with this idea mm -hmm. that music is so much more than a category. Right. And musicians always feel that way. You talk to any musician, they they may have one area of specialty, but they love every kind of music there is. And we're mm -hmm. all that way. And so it's wonderful to be in a school that has that ethos and has that worldview. Yeah. Um, so that our students can go out into the world and and not put themselves too much into one category. I love into that a box. part of it. Yeah, right. I love yeah. that part of it. Yeah, and as a as a classical musician who loves jazz, for example, and I sing jazz, I'm in a place that where you don't have to sort of hide that or sort of oh well, I secretly do this other kind of music too. <laughs> yeah. um, we we do it. We do other kinds of music proudly ourselves. So yeah, it's a it's a really wonderful atmosphere among the students and the faculty there. And um, I, it's very rare to have a place where you go to work every day just with a spring in your step. You can't wait to start your day. And then you leave with a spring in your step because of all the great things that happened that day. And that's really the way it is there. Great. As you know, um, COVID has affected almost like everyone's lives in the recent year and a half um, due to the recent pandemic, how have your recent professional alignments changed and what does that look like? Well, yeah, music and the arts have been no stranger to the problems that have occurred over the past couple of years in terms of what we're able to do, the frustrating thing for musicians and for anyone who makes music, and we know this very well at, at Music Men's Minds as well, you know, our response to any problem in the world is to come together with music and to help heal the problems and to help bring people together and to use music as as the healing force that it is in the world. So no matter what happens in the world, no matter what disasters befall us, musicians immediately respond with, let's get together, let's put on a performance, let's play music for people, let's get people playing music, let's that 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 is our way back always in right. the art. In the arts, that's our way back. Not being able to do the one thing that we do to mm -hmm. get into a room with other people and do this has been uh, has really made us feel like we've just had our um, our whole lifeline cut off from from how we can help the world, not just for ourselves, but how we respond to these things. So what's been inspiring to me, though, is how things have gone forward anyway, and how we've used these online platforms to still make music together. No one's pretending it's the same as being in the same room. No one's 
no one ever expected it to be the same. But the idea of not doing it at all was not an option. And so for me as a teacher, uh, going, teaching music online um, has been uh, a journey, a technological journey to find out a way to do it that's effective for the student. Uh, but we've done so. And it's been brilliant. And there's been a really great outcome of it is that people who live in different cities can make music together now. Uh, and as an instructor, I've been able to teach people who don't live in my city for the first time. And that's been marvelous. Yeah, I've had I now have students who study voice with me uh, all over the country and uh, all over the world. I have a student uh, in Korea right now who studies with me. I mean, the time difference is not easy, <laughs> but we find a way to, to make it work. And we've worked out the audio and the timing parts of it as well as we can so that they're actually having a real experience. Um, as far as, um, you know, as far as the, the, the arts organizations, uh, around the world that I work with, as I, I perform with mostly with symphony orchestras now, not so much with, with opera companies anymore, because staged opera is, uh, if you perform in a staged opera, you have to be gone for a month to do staging rehearsals and things like that. I'd have to go to a city for a month at least to do an opera. And I just, I can't leave my, my UCLA students for a month or anything like that. Like I, um, like I used to be able to do years ago. So I sing mostly now with symphony orchestras as a mm -hmm. soloist. Mm -hmm. These arts organizations are finding their way back. And, uh, this has been a very, uh, distressing year and a half where we've seen many arts organizations simply uh, simply shut down where they couldn't uh, not only couldn't they survive during the pandemic but they didn't see a post pandemic uh, future for themselves however most arts organizations and music that i know of have found a way to at least keep themselves afloat and are planning on coming back full force um one of the things that we've been able to do is figure out how to keep our skills going how to keep our musicians interested and engaged, our audiences interested and engaged throughout this last year and a half, so that when we can finally be back together again, making music in the same room and having audiences listen to that music, it is it it will be like giving a giant feast to a person who hasn't had a meal in a in a year and a half. I mean, that's that's really how people will feel, and we are so ready to provide it. So it's actually very exciting to think about coming back out on the stage again and performing for people again. Um, but I will say that some of the solutions that we found, the technological solutions that we found to keep things going will be things that we will keep going also, even once we're back together. Yeah. The idea that we can still connect with each other remotely um, is gonna be a nice supplement to what we do in person from now on. And so I think there will be a silver lining for us in the arts in that way. Right, yeah, and that's been a very big thing for Music Men's Minds as well. As we go hybrid, we've been able to connect with some of our partners across the world. And so it really has been a silver lining. That is very true. So our next question is still on the topic of you being an instructor. As a professor of music and voice performance at UCLA, keeping students informed and engaged is, is very crucial for their development to success. Do you have any tips tips or tricks to keep our seniors engaged here at MMM who may be tired or distracted due to their medications or symptoms? Well, I think that one of the differences, one of the, one of the unique things about Music Men's Minds that is by its nature a real plus in this area is the engagement of making music as opposed to just listening to music. We all know that listening to music is a wonderful thing, and we want to present as much music for people to simply hear, uh, who are 
let's say for our seniors or for people who have uh, or in life situations where listening to music is going to be a great uh, a great um, uh, help to them. But actually making music yourself with others is a much different experience. Mm -hmm. And and it is the it is the definition of engagement meaning to actually be engaged in an activity rather than just observing it. That's one of the beautiful things. That's one of the things that attracted me to this organization. Uh, there are a lot of organizations that organize performances of music for people. Well, we're going to go to this or this place or this place and make sure that these people hear music. And I'm, I applaud that. And I think it's beautiful and wonderful that we have so many organizations who do that. However, our students, um, staying, staying engaged, in what they're doing is sort of by nature of studying music. You simply don't read about music in a book or listen to it and comment on it. You actually do it yourself. Um, the thing about keeping our seniors engaged and keeping them interested when their certain life circumstances are, are making, making engagement with life difficult, engagement mm -hmm. with others difficult is actually the act of making music. In other words, if you have people in a room and you say, sing along with us here take this drum do you play the piano sit down at this piano play along with us that is a um it is a human need to be involved actively rather than passively mm -hmm. with other humans and this is not a passive experience for them it is an absolutely active experience and i think one of the things that we need to do uh, the caregivers and the the um, loved ones and the family members of people who are struggling uh, with these aspects of life need to find ways to to have people do rather than just observe and be right and be right. So what can you what can they be doing? Mm -hmm. The nice thing also is that anything is good, any doing is good, and uh, I I really feel like the the um, the level of ability sometimes makes people a little bit shy about doing. Mm -hmm. They say, yeah. well, I, I love to sing, but I'm not very good at it. And, and that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. And the other thing that any student of music will tell you who actually studies music is, you know, when a music major starts as a, as a, as a college ma music major, yes, they're very talented, but they are by no means perfect at what they do. There's a lot about what they do that is just plain wrong and not working <laughs> at all. And that's why they come to us to say, Hey, can, if I work with you enough, can this feel better? Can it be easier to do? Can it be more fun to do because my skills improve? Mm -hmm. But that is true of everyone. That is not just true of music majors and college students and professional musicians. Mm -hmm. Anybody gets better at what they do, the more they do it, especially if you have people guiding you and encouraging you and making you let go of your insecurities. Um, and the more you do it, the better you get and the better you get at it, the more fun it is. And yep. this is true of everyone across the board. Mm -hmm. It's why I love working with amateur musicians so much because they the progress improve. Is the progress is is amazing yeah. and including people who are very very limited very limited they make progress too and the important part of that progress is how it makes them feel about themselves and how it makes them feel in the moment that they're doing it and that's that is the most important thing for students and it's also the most important thing for any person engaged in music uh, particularly seniors and particularly people who are struggling in other areas of their lives mm -hmm.
So many of our seniors are diagnosed with neurocognitive decline, which often limits their speech control. As a nationally renowned voice teacher, would you recommend any easy or brief vocal exercises that could help our patients regain control over their voice and speech? Well, it's interesting. I've worked a lot with speech therapists um, in helping their patients through singing uh, who are not necessarily working to become better singers, but who are having speech difficulties. Uh, at the same time, speech therapists work a lot with singers who are recovering from vocal injury or who are trying to solve a particular physical or medical problem that they have. Professional singers don't just work with with uh, voice teachers to help them recover from injury or from surgery or anything like that. They, they work with speech therapists. Mm -hmm. Singers don't often think about talking um, as, a, as a thing they need to work on. Right when in fact it's very very helpful so speech therapists and voice teachers have a great deal in common and we when we work together and learn from each other magical magical things happen for mm -hmm. for their patients uh and so i'm very fortunate once again i i sound you know i'm i, I repeat this all the time to the point of <laughs> to the point of boredom i'm afraid but but i'm so lucky to be at ucla because a place like ucla if you need to talk to someone about something, you're going to find one of the world's experts at it just mm -hmm. right down the way, you know? Yep. And so- Go the, Bruins. Yes. So the speech therapists at the UCLA Medical Center, for example, at the, the Department of Head and Neck Surgery there at uh, UCLA Medical Center are just uh, the, absolutely some of the, the, the world's experts in this field. So I've been able to sit and learn from them and sit in on their sessions and work with them very, very closely. So some of the exercises that they give their patients and some of the exercises I give my students have a real similar feel to them. Mm -hmm. And I would say the main thing that, that, um, that singing helps with speech has to do with um, the initiation of movement, in this case, the initiation of sound. Right. And what I have learned from the neuroscientists and the doctors and the people who, who work very closely with neurodegenerative disorders is that in beginning a movement is often where some of the problems start and some of the problems persist, particularly with Parkinson's, where my brain tells my leg to move and make a step so I can walk and my leg doesn't move and my brain is sending the command, but the leg is not responding. So what, what they've shown me and what I've learned from them is we send a similar but different message to that same muscle group. So if you can't take a step, then send the message to shuffle your feet really quickly and your legs respond to that and you kind of trick them into starting to move and then you can start walking. So anything that can spark the, the initial movement is something that we work on a lot through the vocal exercises that we do. And so sometimes it's the beginning of a, of a sound in speech that is hard for somebody as I said, particularly with Parkinson's, although we've seen similar similar speech problems with other other conditions such as Alzheimer's, where they'll begin to talk and the voice will almost freeze, like they mm -hmm. can't get the sound out. Right. But if you sing it, the sound comes out. So you're sending a message to the exact same muscle group, but it's a it's going through a slightly different path. The command is sing rather than speak. Right. And the the vocal muscles respond to that. So I've watched in speech therapy sessions them do these kinds of things. So often we'll go back and forth between speaking and singing is one of the exercises that we do. So for example, 
if we have a patient who is having these speech difficulties and they're working with me, I will say, let's sing hello and then speak hello, 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 hello. Yeah. And just, just sort of go back and forth between the two. And then we try to do longer phrases. We do one word at a time, but then we add words to it. So it's, let's, hello, how are you? Hello, how are you? Hello, how are you? Hello, how are you? And we go back and forth between singing and speaking. And what ends up happening is it's uh, the patients have described an almost kind of lubrication of a, of a rusty gear that is mm -hmm. suddenly starting mm -hmm. to move more smoothly. And it's um, gets to the point where finally we start talking about breath. And that's the other thing with speech and singing that where we have some similarities. So taking a deep breath before they say a sentence is not something any of us are used to doing. You don't ever think about how you inhale during a conversation, right? Right. You just talk. And so if we actually ask people to think about it and I'm going to say, okay, they're going to say their next sentence, but I want you to breathe into your body and then say it. Well, that's a new mental process that they're not used to really concentrating on. So if somebody actually has to think about the ribs expanding outward to the sides, the diaphragm coming down on the inhale and they breathe, hello, how are you today? And they initiate the movement after that, after concentrating on the inhale, again, it gives the brain something else to do, which then can trigger the movement they're trying to make. Yeah. Um, my knowledge of this is not medical by any means. My, my medical knowledge of this simply comes from what I've learned from people who know mm -hmm. uh, and from what they've taught me. But it really has enhanced my work to know some of these medical uh, processes and these anatomical processes, but also the medical techniques that therapists, mm -hmm. physical therapists, speech therapists use. So it's wonderful. It's really, really wonderful. And frankly, people without any, any neurodegenerative problem can gain something by thinking about inhaling and then speaking or inhaling and then singing. The whole physical process flows much better for all of us when we think that way. Right. Well, you said a lot about, you know, breathing and, you know, saying a phrase and then singing a phrase. And that kind of relates back to what a lot of music therapists do. So on to my next question, what are your thoughts and opinions on music therapy as a viable treatment option for those with progressive nervous system disorders, such as Alzheimer's dementia and like you mentioned, Parkinson's? Well, music therapy is one of these fields that it seems like it is constantly expanding because mm -hmm. there's almost no area of of medical work that is not enhanced by some use of music um it, it's one of those things where you feel we only know the tip of the iceberg mm -hmm. um so far and it's so exciting to see that happen one of the one of the things about music therapy and it kind of goes back to what i was saying before one of the things about music therapy that i think isn't well understood uh by a lot of people is the fact that music therapy is a lot more than just playing music for people to make them feel happier people think of music that way okay so all people engage in music therapy but they engage in it in a very passive way mm -hmm. so as people say oh i get home and i'm stressed and i just put on a little music and i feel better right, right? That is very true. And we've all experienced that. Or right. sometimes a certain song can just put you in a better mood. Mm -hmm. Or if I'm feeling a certain way, I put music on to enhance that feeling. Right? So if I'm going to go on vacation and I get in my car to drive to the airport, I'm going to play certain music to put me in vacay mode, right? Vacay mode. I'm not going to listen to some depressing emo stuff on my <laughs> yeah. way to the airport, right? Um, so everybody experiences quote unquote music therapy, or let's say lowercase letters, music mm -hmm. therapy in mm -hmm. our lives. Mm -hmm. However, 
the participatory nature of it, particularly the physical nature of rhythm, um, using your body to make rhythm, dancing, all of these things have to do with music. So what music therapists are studying and what they have understood then um, about the treatment for these kinds of progressive disorders is that the use of making music, singing, playing an instrument, clapping rhythms, anything that the patient is able to do, marching. I always remember Carol talking about how marching was such a great and unusual and unexpected thing to be happening um, that really helped Erwin. Um, and so just marching around your house to play John Philip Sousa sounds like something you never imagined yourself doing. And yet when you see what it does for somebody, you recognize that it isn't that strange at all. And the truth is that there's a reason that the, I like to relate it back to the human experience we all have mm -hmm. and then focus it for people who are who need it as therapy. So if you think about John Philip Sousa marches, if you are if you go outside on the 4th of July to the main street of some small town and uh, the marching band comes down the street playing Stars and Stripes Forever, you just can't stand still. You can't not feel happy. There's something about that music that makes you want to move. So we all have that experience. So how about focusing that as therapy? That yeah. music makes you want to move? Great. What we want is for you to want to move. So let's do it and let's march around the living room. Yeah. And of course, Carol, because you're Carol, you made it a lot more fun, I think, than most people would, <laughs> because you actually got into it. You didn't just do it sort of passively. It's 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 wonderful. So what I feel the that music therapy has to offer the world is this understanding that it is, um, it is very very real, and it isn't just an entertainment that helps people feel better. It is a mm -hmm. real physical neurological approach to this beautiful human thing that we all know and love called music mm -hmm. but uh and i think more and more people are recognizing that yeah and so that music therapists aren't just people standing with a guitar singing kumbaya to a group of uh, <laughs> people in wheelchairs that's not what music therapy is it's very active and very yeah. uh very well thought out yeah. so music great... is medicine it is indeed so for the last question, um, for the members at Music Men's Minds, they're not only playing songs that they have heard in the past and that they have known for years, they are also learning new songs as well. How can they learn new songs or rhythms in the midst of their current diagnosis? Well, that's what's interesting about it, is that so many of those, as what we have learned from the medical professionals who, who know about this and who've studied it for a long time, is that the neural pathways that are involved in music are, in many cases, less affected, or in some cases, not at all affected by the disease. So uh, somebody who has trouble even speaking or walking can learn a new song. Uh, that's what's fascinating to me. It's not just about memory. It's about the the basics of any anything in music. So what's really interesting about music is that if you strip it all away, it all starts to be the same fundamentals. In every culture, in every style of music, there are certain beats and certain tones and certain rhythms and certain structures within a piece of music that are really the same throughout all human cultures. Uh, even though the end result, after you add on the cultural sounds, are very different. So if you listen to a piece of uh, I'm I really really love for example I love Peking opera which is the old old Chinese uh, style of opera and Chinese the, this form of singing that is so different from Western singing 
I love it. I find it absolutely fascinating and beautiful. Uh, but it is very strange to Western ears to listen to that. It's it's a very foreign sound. But when you start to analyze the music, you start to see it's not actually that different. And the beats and the rhythms are kind of the same as almost any music you listen to. So learning a new piece of music actually sparks things in you that you already know. So it's a new piece of music. Learning a new piece of music is not like... Um, you know, if you if I had to learn how to fix a motorcycle, mm -hmm. uh, I just would be lost. I, mm -hmm. I don't even know that I could begin uh, because I know nothing about it and I have no context in my mind for a motorcycle. But all people have a built in context for music that they don't even know is there. Right. And so learning a new piece of music isn't like that at all. It's just sort of like getting to know a new friend mm -hmm. when you meet somebody new you've never met them before you've never you don't know their name you don't know anything about them but you know they're still a person and you can hear you know the kinds of things that you listen for where are you from what do you do you know are you do you have family the normal questions that you ask so i've often told people that when you're learning a new piece of music you should just look at it like going on a on a first date <laughs> what are the questions you would ask what are the things you're going to look for and what are the things you're going to know uh what are the red flags that you're going to look at <laughs> the <out> red for? <laughs> flags <laughs> and uh, a new piece of music is a little bit like that what are the things that are familiar to you oh this reminds me of that sure i can do that and to mm -hmm. just not be scared mm -hmm. um the other most important thing for anyone and for for um you know for our members especially who feel very comfortable with certain songs but oh i've never heard this song before one of the reasons that there's a blockage toward it because people are very afraid of making a mistake singing the wrong note singing a wrong word coming in at the wrong place and this is a this is something people have to let go of there right. really is no reason to worry about that um uh sometimes in a music man's minds uh rehearsal the sounds people make and the things they sing are quite quite far away from what we're actually doing and i have to say it's a to me a beautiful sound <laughs> it's a it's as beautiful a sound as the correct sound on the correct note because yeah. this is a person opening up and making sound and making it happen and uh i just i just love it i love it mm -hmm. um and so i think getting letting go of the fear of making a mistake is a huge huge part of learning a new piece of music uh, I will say that a wrong note or a wrong rhythm is the easiest thing in the world to fix. But what's very difficult to fix is the inability to just start and do it. Mm -hmm. So yeah. just start and do it, warts and all. Let's hear all the mistakes. Let's hear mm -hmm. it wrong. And I'm so glad and we'll fix things if we can. And you know what? If you sing a wrong note, we'll all still be alive at the end. It's not going to kill <laughs> yeah. anybody. So I think letting go of the fear and letting into the joy is the way of of learning a new piece of music and also being open-minded about a piece you've never heard before yeah letting um, the joy in but you know a lot of people their their only experience before they've come to something like this of a music rehearsal was maybe a high school choir where they had a tyrant of a music director where if you sang the wrong note you got screamed at and embarrassed in front of the whole class and so i think people hang on to that even years later and my hope is that people let go of that and just say oh i don't care i'm just here I'm going to just lean into it and I'm going to have fun. That's really the way to, that's really the way to do it. So, mm -hmm. um, there are performance organizations that are very stress, stressful and very uh, perfection driven. And that's one of the nice things about a group like this is that we're about something else. Mm -hmm. And as a result, I find the music that our groups make 
just as beautiful as any symphony orchestra that you'll ever hear anywhere. To me, it is just as beautiful and 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 strikes the heart just as deeply, if not more deeply, than that mm-hmm. stuff does. So that would be my advice for people. Agreed. Heavily agreed. Well, we are definitely running out of time. This is going to be a very jam-packed episode. I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today on Ask the Expert. You shared such amazing research, stories, advice, knowledge, findings, everything. And we are so grateful that you were able to come on today and share all of this with us. And we can't wait to hear more about your amazing work in the future. And again, thank you to our listeners for joining us today. Again, very jam-packed episode. So I hope everyone enjoyed. If you would like to learn more about Music Men's Minds, please visit our website at www.musicmensminds.org. If you didn't know, Music Men's Minds is a nonprofit organization based in West Los Angeles, serving seniors with Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, dementia, PTSD, stroke, and even traumatic brain injuries by using music to bring these seniors healing and joy, which again is a lot of what we talked about today with Michael Dean. If this is a cause that you would like to support, please consider donating to Music Men's Minds. We accept donations through our website. Again, it's www.musicmensminds.org. And thank you again to Professor Michael Dean for joining us today. And we will see you next time. 